Church family, there's one thing that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, and that is that there's not a church in North Alabama that is more blessed than we are to have such an incredible choir and orchestra lead us week in and week out. So thank you for your leadership. I I appreciate the orchestra and the choir um, not just using their gifts and and saying, well, I'm going to sing from the congregation, but they faithfully serve us week in and week out whether it's serving and practicing on Wednesday nights, whether it's getting ready on Sunday morning. And aren't you glad to see so many of our students that are leading with us in orchestra and choir this morning? Caleb and Sarah, did you force them to be up there? Or uh, so, so thankful to have a student pastor that says that it's all about the church and it's about a church family that we're not just about ourselves but it's leading by example. So what a, what a gift that we have, and I hope that you don't take for granted what an incredible, not only a, a history and a legacy of music ministry that we have, but the music ministry where we are today. And that's where I want to focus for, for just a, a few minutes this morning, is I want us to look at something that I think is very important to every single person here in this room today. It's important to you whether you've been a member at this church for 50 years or you've been visiting for the last five Sundays. And that question that we want to wrestle with, and hopefully by the end of our service this morning, is what is the direction that we're taking as far as a church in terms of of the music ministry, in terms of where we are headed in the 1030 worship hour? I hope that question is important to you. Because when you care about something, you care not just about where it is today, not just about where it's been in the past, but you care about the direction of, of where it's moving in the future. Let me give you an example. If I were to go up to, to you and you were an Alabama or Auburn football fan and I were to ask you, well, tell me about your team, more than likely you would tell me about more than just the score last night. You wouldn't just tell me, well, we won last week. You'd probably go back and say, well, we, we've made improvements from the first game of the season to where we are now, and I, I see that we're going to continue to make steps forward. And if you're a really strong fan, you may even go even further ahead and say, well, our recruiting is strong for next year. You should see about the quarterback that's coming. You should see the defensive end. And we can go back two or three years because we know that recruiting is important for the program to be strong, not just today, not just yesterday and how they played the game, but if that program wants to continue to be strong in what? In years to come. The same is true in our church. If as a church family, if we desire and we want to continue to be as effective as possible in doing what? In fulfilling the Great Commission. That is the the, the role that God has given the church. If we want to be as effective as we have in the past, then we can't just look back at our past victories, at our past successes, at what our church has done in the past as successful, using the worldly terms, as you may think that we have been. But instead, my hope, my prayer, my desire for our church is that we would be a church that is constantly looking to what God is doing what? Today. May we always say, God, what are you doing today? We thank you for our past. We stand on the shoulders of those in the past. But we are longing for you to do a new work today. And we're looking not only at what you're doing in our church, but we desire to see how you are preparing us, both individually as Christians and collectively as the body of Christ, which is the members of this church family, how you're preparing us for a new work and what you are going to do in and through Decatur and all throughout the world because of what you are doing today. One of our incredible team members, Vicki Alloway, I'm going to embarrass you, Vicki, here just a second. She sent me an email last week. 
And in that email that she sent me, there was just um, a scripture verse. Nothing else but this verse. And this is the verse. It's from the Living Bible, so a different translation. But this is what it said. It said, but these things I plan won't happen right away. Slowly, steadily, surely, the time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. If it seems slow, do not despair, for these things will surely come to pass. What? Just be patient. They will not be overdue a single day. Isn't that what we long to be a part of, church family? Don't we all long to be a part of a church that's about so much more than just themselves? I hope you would say yes. Don't we long to be a part of what God has told us to be? That we would go throughout all the nations carrying the message of the gospel of hope and truth. And we are a part of that great commission taking place here in our time. See, to be honest with you, you'd be hard-pressed to find a pastor that's more blessed than I am. And I mean that with all sincerity. To have a church family that loves the Lord, that loves our community, that has a desire to reach every corner of our community with the gospel of Christ. Not only do we have a faithful group of believers that are united in our purpose, united in our calling, not about what's going to fulfill my needs, what do I want, but in fulfilling what Scripture has told us to do, But as a church family, we stand on the shoulders of 175 years of faithfulness. 175 years of faithful preaching that has taken place from many pastors, of faithful ministers, of faithful deacons, of faithful Sunday school teachers, of men and women that are lay members of this church that have done whatever it takes to reach our community with the gospel of Christ. That has said this church is here not just to benefit ourselves, but that we might make disciples all throughout our community. And today on this first day of October 2017, I can stand before you with all confidence, with all assurance, and tell you that I am more excited, that I'm more confident, that I'm more optimistic about the future of this church to be a shining city on a hill, to be a place that goes out and carries the light in the darkness, to carry out the Great Commission in our community and throughout the world than I've ever been before. Listen to what we have. As a church family, we have an incredible legacy of faith. We stand on the shoulders, as I said a minute ago, of men and women that have sacrificed so that we can be where we are today. We stand on the shoulder and we have the the legacy of men and women who have sacrificed, who have given in, in faith, that have led us by example. We stand on the shoulders of those that have said we want to serve and invest in our community. But not only do we have that legacy, we also have a vision, and I hope we have an excitement to go forth and to carry out the Great Commission. And when you tie those two things together, an incredible rich legacy of faith, of sacrifice, of investing in our community, and a vision that's pure and excited about reaching this world for the gospel of Christ, church, we cannot fail. Not only can we not fail if our vision remains pure, and it's not about us, it's not about the staff, it's not about the deacons, it's all about fulfilling what God has called us to do. Not only can we not fail if that vision remains pure, but let me just be honest with you, the stakes are too high for us to fail today. I've said it before, we've got to make sure that we, this is not just a game. This isn't just something that we get up and we get dressed up on Sunday morning and we just hope that we can feel good and we leave and it doesn't transform our lives. Church family, the future of this church, hear me, the future of First Baptist Church depends on our faithfulness today. Let me say that again. 
The future of First Baptist Church Decatur depends on our faithfulness today. Not only does the future of our church depend on our faithfulness today, the future of your children, the future of your grandchildren's faith and their involvement in church today, tomorrow, 10, 15 years down the road, it depends on what we do today. It hinges on how we respond today. I think some of us, if we're honest, we'd admit that we're tired of just coming and and doing church as usual. Just continuing to come because we think this is what we're supposed to do. I hope that most of us here would say that we long for, that we know that we need a transforming touch from the Lord. We need to know that we are moving in the right direction. Now, I understand that when we say that we all desire a transforming experience, particularly in the the 1030 worship hour, that that probably looks different to many of us in this room. But I don't think that we would all say that we just want that passed on faith. That faith that's been passed down to us that we didn't take hold of, that we just treated sometimes like a lucky rabbit's foot, that we're just going to rub it whenever we know that we need it. But we long for, we desire for that transformative, that life-altering faith that comes and it can heal broken homes, that it can transform those hurting relationships. Don't we all long for the kind of faith that takes our our slogan that we say and, and makes it more than just a slogan that we say the purpose of our church is to reach people, make disciples. We can say that till the cows come home, but don't we want that to be true in every single Sunday school class? Don't we want it to be true in every single worship service that we come to? And more importantly, don't we want that to be true that we are taking the gospel and reaching first our children, our grandchildren, those around us, and we're making disciples of everyone in our family and it starts in our homes. Isn't that what we all long for? More than anything, what I desire as a faith family is that when we walk outside the walls of this church, that when members of this church come into contact with those in the community, that they would notice a difference in how we live. They would notice a difference in our speech. They would notice a difference in our passion and what we value. They would notice a difference in the perspective of how we live our lives. And this is what I pray more than anything, is that we would be able to say what Paul said he longed for the people of Corinth to say about the church members of Corinth. This is what he said, I long that they would be able to say this about you. 1 Corinthians 14, 25, surely God is truly among you. Is there a greater vision than that? That as we leave the walls of this sanctuary, that we're out in the community Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, that people, when they come into contact, they say, surely God is at work in them because I can see a difference in how they live their life. So in the next few moments, I want to look specifically about the direction of where we are moving as a church family, and in particular, that 1030 worship hour. As we talk about the worship service, which is always a controversial thing because we all have preferences, don't we? It's, it's okay to admit that. We all have things that we like, things that we don't like, things that, that move us, that work in us. And God gave us emotions, and that's a good thing if we, we employ them according to Scripture. That we don't base our life completely on emotion, but upon God's Word. But there's one verse that I want us to, to kind of capture. I hope that we can cling to. This is the verse that I keep going back to that I say, God, this is what I hope. Everything that we do is, is, is pointing to this is our desire. 
And it comes from Paul again, but now we're in 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, Paul writes these words. He says, And we who with unveiled faces, he's going back to Moses. Remember when Moses came in contact with the Lord, he had to have that veil in front of him because his face was shining so brightly that if you saw Moses that you would die because he had been in contact with the Lord. So now Paul is saying, now we with unveiled faces, would we reflect the Lord's glory? And being transformed, don't forget that word, being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Does it get any better than that? Shouldn't that be the heart of every true worshiper of Jesus? That in every experience that we would be transformed into what? His likeness. That through worship, through the reading of his word, through the fellowship in our small groups, through our singing together, through the studying of scripture in the sanctuary, would we, God, be transformed not into our own image, not into the world's image, but would we be transformed into your likeness? So that's the verse that I hope that we cling to in all that we say and all that we do. God, would we be transformed into your likeness? There's also a, a one, one theme that I think it's kind of been an underlying theme in our church for generations. But I just want to state this explicitly. And I want to make sure that we not only live this out, but we say this is what we believe. And that is that the most important um, overarching theme here is that the family unit is the most important small group in the church. I think we've lived that out. I think we have shown that we value families, that everything that we do, we want to support and value families. But we have got to say as a church that we understand, and we understand according to Scripture, that the family unit, that's the most important small group that the Lord has given us. Think about it. Almost everywhere else you go, as soon as you hit that door, the family is split apart. Whether it's by age, whether it's by preference, we're splitting the family up. That shouldn't be the case in the church. We should promote to bring the family together. Now, before I get too far ahead of myself and you start thinking, oh, no, that means no more children's Sunday school, no more extended care, you're having your babies. And, no, we're not saying that. There is a time and place for age-appropriate Bible study and worship. We know that we want to provide every believer an opportunity to learn and to develop and grow their faith in a way that we can, when I was a children's minister, I would say we want to present Jesus to them on their own level. But at the same time, I think that we need to strive as a church family to provide plenty of opportunities that we can bring families together. So with that, there's three things that I hope that as a church family that we're leading our families to do. Here are the three things. I pray that First Baptist is leading us first and foremost. All that I've said already is that we would be leading the charge to be transformed into his likeness. May that be our overarching goal. Now, again, that comes from 2 Corinthians. As a church family, may we be a part of a church that's leading us, secondly, to place the highest priority on families. That we value the family and we want to support the family. Number three is that as a church family, we would be leading the charge to be effective in carrying out the Great Commission, not only today, but for years to come. So with that said, what in your pastor's opinion, and by the way, we, we've talked about this and agreed upon this as a, as a staff. We've talked about this as, as a deacon body. What does that mean about the direction of our 1030 worship hour? Let me try to give you my vision for this worship service in two sentences. All right, so here, here's the first thing. is I hope and pray that my desire is that we would have a combined 
multi-generational worship service in the sanctuary that appreciates our rich musical heritage. That we would worship together and that we would say that we value and we're going to, to appreciate and lean upon that rich musical heritage that we have as a church family. But the second sentence is just as equally as, as true. That at the same time, this service leans forward to reach the next generation in order to keep this church vibrant and growing in the next 8 to 10 years. So that we don't just lean on our past and say, let's just cling to it. But we'd also lean forward and say, we've got to remain relevant. We've got to make sure that we understand we've got to reach the next generation so that this church is as living and active in 25 years as it is today. So what does that look like in particular when we're talking about the music ministry? What does the focus of our, our music ministry need to be? Well, I believe the focus of our music ministry should be the same as the focus of our senior adult ministry, as our children's ministry, as our preschool ministry, as our student ministry. And that is the focus of our worship as far as music, the focus of our choir and orchestra. It should be about making disciples. That's everything we do. It's got to be about how are we making disciples. So, again, how do we make sure that our music ministry, that it's leading us not only to make disciples, but it's helping shape our hearts and our minds to be transformed into his likeness through the power of the Holy Spirit? What does that look like? I believe that it means that we're extremely careful, that we're extremely cautious about the lyrics in which we sing. That we make sure that what we are singing is true according to God's word. Now, as I shared a few weeks ago, I understand that we all have preferences. That's the way we're born. That's the way we were raised. But let's don't get to the part, the point where we think that our preference is the only way or it's the right way. There's not a, a biblical style of, of singing music and an unbiblical style. Again, I shared with you, if you've been on a foreign mission trip, you go and you hear how they worship and you see that genuine, authentic worship experience. Style shouldn't be what we cling to so dearly, but instead, lyrics about what shape our thinking and our worship about God, that is what we should cling to with all of our might. So practically speaking, what does that mean? It means that as a church family that we're going to continue to lead our music ministry with our strengths. What are our strengths? I think you've demonstrated, I couldn't have had a better uh, prelude if I fail today, then I could, I'll never succeed as a pastor because they, set it, they, they just set the stage so well that we are going to lead with our strengths, which is our choir and orchestra. We're going to continue to have what, what from Larry Black to Matt to, to Chip Coley has said, we have an incredible gift in a congregation that loves to sing, that sings out. But with that legacy that we have, we're going to add to it. And we're going to add what, what, three things. We're going to add our students and children leading us in worship. You see that today. You've seen it the last few weeks, whether it's Ava playing the, the, the organ, whether it's Christopher playing the violin, whatever. We're going to continue to allow children not just say, now you guys sit down, and when you get older, then you can come lead us. No, 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 no. We want them to lead today because God's given them that gift and ability. Not only that, but we're going to, to learn some new songs of the faith. Yes, we're going to sing some of the old songs, but we're going to learn some new ones. Hopefully you've learned some today. And third, we're going to add some different elements to our orchestra and our rhythm section. Just to continue to, to help lead in, in the style and the fashion of, of reaching the next generation. 
So I heard one minister of music as we were interviewing and through this process put it this way. He said that every church family has what he called their own hymnal. So their hymnal are the songs that collectively make up the songs of that church's faith that they love to sing. So every church throughout America has its own hymnal that they love to pull songs from. We're going to, as a church family, we're going to add to our church's hymnal. But as we add to our church's hymnal, understand we're not going to take anything away. We're not going to replace the hymnal that we've been using. Think about it. Every generation has always added their own voice to the church. And guess what? The church is better for it. The church is better that we continue to add music to the hymnal. All throughout the church's history, we've been able to to balance that tension of understanding that we're going to lean on the rich music of our past and embrace some of the newer music. And guess what? We are better. We are stronger. The church is better for that. Here's the key. The key is that every generation adds its voice. And while every generation adds its own voice, they do not drown out the others. They don't trample on top of or say that we're more important than the others. By the way, is is adding new songs to our, our church's hymnal, is that something that we're just facing today in 2017? Has the church never faced new music coming into the sanctuary? Let me give you just a brief um, survey of the last 30 to 40 years of church music. Don't fall asleep. I'm going to go quick, I promise. Students, you're going to learn something probably through this. Dottie Rambo. Y'all know Dottie Rambo? At one point, her songs were considered modern. How about We Shall Behold Him? Larry Black's favorite that he would sing with the choir, He Looked Beyond My Faults. At one point, modern. How about Sandy Patty? I know we got some Sandy. Don't scream or yell. We have some Sandy Patty fans in here. Um, Sandy Patty, In the Name of the Lord, Via Dolorosa, Upon This Rock. Students, you know any of these songs yet? Are you awake? All right, we'll keep going. Um, Andre Crouch. Andre Crouch, some of his songs, The Blood Will Never Lose Its Power, My Tribute, also known as, as To God Be the Glory, Soon and Very Soon. At one point, those songs were considered new and modern in the church. Don Moen, you remember the, the, the musical, I'm sure our church did it, God, God for us, God with us, um, God will make a way, God is good all the time. Every Thanksgiving service from now until Jesus comes back, we're going to sing the next one, Give Thanks, right? You, that's just standard, all right? It's kind of like the doxology in some churches. Um, Steve Green. People need the Lord, God and God alone. Find us faithful. And finally, I could go from now until Jesus returns. How about Bill and Gloria Gaither? Somebody get their hanky. Oh, that's Vestal, isn't it? That would wave her hanky. Is that right? Is that Vestal? Is that right? Vestal Goodman, didn't she have it? I grew up going to Gaither homecomings with my granddad, so don't say I don't appreciate Southern Gospel. Uh, because he lives, I believe in a hill called Mount Calvary. I bowed on my knees and cried holy. There's something about the name. The king is coming. All of these songs at one point were considered modern songs in our worship services. And here's my question. What if the church in years gone by had rejected those modern songs because they weren't ancient hymns of the faith or they weren't in our Baptist hymnal? Wouldn't we be less of a church? Wouldn't we have less of victory and an understanding what God is doing if we didn't have that? See, these songs have enriched music in our local churches all across our country. And while they enriched our music ministry, they did not detract from the rich history of Isaac Watts and Fanny Crosby. We're able to do both and to do it beautifully. Today, these new songs come from people like Chris Tomlin or Matt Redman, 
Matt Marr, um, one of my favorites, uh, the kind of modern hymn writers, Keith and Kristen Getty, a song we just sung, um, In Christ Alone, their newer songs. So I tried to, to think of, of how I could make a picture of this, and you're going to help me with this, Jennifer, of what this might look like. So I want you to, to pretend for just a moment that you're going to be transfixed now, or, or you're now going to be in the cursey um, kitchen table, a scary place to be, right? Okay. There's no high chair, the floor has no um, slobber all over it, but we're good, all right? So this, this is the, the Kersey family dinner table. Chris, will you, Jennifer, will you give me the, I'll just take the box right now. Just the box, yeah. It's been a while since I've had props, so hang with me here. So if we were at the, the Kersey family table, and if we were to say each person, there's four of us, you get to choose what you're going to have today for dinner. Lindsay would choose, first, some good cheese dip from a Mexican restaurant. I won't say because I don't want to offend whoever, where you are, all right? She would have the cheese dip along with some, can you see those, the chips that would be there. Now, she loves um, a grilled chicken taco, so she would have this, the grilled chicken taco. And then I asked her this. Everyone got to tell me what they wanted at their dinner, dining room table. She said in an unlimited supply of Diet Coke. And so... <laughs> With children, you can understand that. But she said, you know, if it's been a really hard day, I might need something stronger at the Mexican restaurant. Um, so it would be, a, of course, a diet Mountain Dew. Um, I don't know what some of y'all were thinking when I said stronger. But I'm just saying, this is as strong as it gets in the Kersey household, all right? I just lost everything else I was going, didn't I? So that, that, that's what Lindsay would choose, okay? So she would choose the Mexican restaurant. Now, if it were me, being the spiritual giant that I am, I would choose God's favorite restaurant. Um, and so I would choose Chick-fil-A, of course, and, um, because that's what God would choose. I've said often that when we get to the, the marriage supper of the lamb, that there's going to be unlimited nugget tray that's going to be there. Um, so I'd start off with a diet lemonade, and so we'd have a diet lemonade. Um, we would also have 12-count nuggets, because only girls get 8-count, okay? Guys, can't do this 8. Um, you've got to have, let's see the french fries that would be there, and then if you've exercised for the day, you can have your cookies and cream milkshake that you're going to wash it down with. All right, so that, that's what I would choose. Now, let, let's keep going. Now, we asked, you just give me the bag here. Did it spill? It's okay if it spilled. Okay. This is what happens when we're doing props. It, 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 I asked Noah the other day, I said, if we were going somewhere, what would you choose? And he says, I love that place that has the, the rocking chairs that you can go back and forth. He's an old soul like his dad, isn't he? Not Chuck E. Cheese. By the way, we told him that's a really bad place that you only go if you're a bad kid. So don't tell him it's not. He thinks the mouse eats the kids when they go in. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that, Lindsay, should I? <laughs> desperate times call for desperate measures, all right? So he would choose Cracker Barrel. I said, what would you get at Cracker Barrel? He goes, I like that thing. I think it's called a yogurt cafe. I'm like, a yogurt cafe? What do you, I mean, he meant a yogurt parfait. Um, and so, so he would have his yogurt parfait. That's not too bad. It's right there. So he'd have his yogurt parfait, and you can't go to Cracker Barrel without having their biscuits. He would have some macaroni and cheese, and then chocolate milk is what he would prefer. Now, Anna Reese doesn't say much. She bites instead of talking. And so um, it was hard to get her to say, I guess she likes flesh. I mean, I don't think that's really... A, appropriate to talk about, maybe on the Lord's Supper, but not today. Um, and, and so, stick to the script. Okay, so, so we, I, 
she would want just some pouches, all right? So she, she gets some pouches here, and then her mom said she would probably like anything that she can throw on the floor. And so um, she would throw that on the floor. Now, there's our, 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 our crazy dinner table. Now, if, if Lindsay and I were to go on a date night, we try our best to go once a month. Just the two of us go out to dinner and we leave the kids at home. And when we do that, normally we'll choose or we'll say, okay, now this is your night. We want to go where you want to go. So once Lindsay's turn, we'll go to Mexican restaurant. And she'll get what she wants. You see up there, and I'll get my grilled chicken taco with no rice, no lettuce, no cheese, no tomato, no nothing. Just lots of salt on the chips. Okay, that's what I'll get. Now, when I'm sitting there and Lindsay's eating her favorite meal, and I really couldn't care less for Mexican, am I sitting there folding my arms saying, I cannot believe that we're here at this Mexican. She is so selfish. I can't stand that we're going where she... No, of course not. Now, the opposite is true as well. She knows that I love... Now, just so you don't think I'm... I am cheap, but I'm not that cheap. We don't go to Chick-fil-A when it's my turn to go on a date night. Um, I love a good steak. So if it's time for, for my turn, sometimes she'll surprise me and she'll make reservations at my favorite place. Usually we reserve it for like birthdays or anniversaries because it's a little more expensive is we'll go to Connor's and she'll make a, a reservation for us and we'll go and I'll eat steak. She could really take it or leave it a steak. So she'll eat, you know, soup or salad or some seafood. And as she's sitting there thinking, I can't believe he is so selfish that I'm sitting here and he's enjoying that steak and I don't get to eat what I No, she's thinking, man, not my favorite, but I'm glad that it's ministering to him. Okay, here's my point. What if that's the way we viewed worship? What if when we came to worship, instead, let's say that you love hymns of the faith and you think that uh, they, these modern worship songs or, or Carol, the guitar, where's Carol? Carol, do you think a guitar can't be used by God? You know, and you think, oh, I, that, that song, you can't, you can't worship if that song was written after 1895. It can't be used by the Lord. How are you, what are you going to do in worship? Are you going to fold it? I'll show them. I'll sit down. I'm not going to say a word because I can't believe we're singing this song. No. I hope what you'll do is that you'll listen to the lyrics. I hope that you'll participate in worship. I hope that you'll look to that person next to you and say, I am so glad that we're singing something that's ministering to them because we are a family. By the way, the opposite is true as well. When we sing those hymns of the faith, and you think, well, I can't worship anything that's written after 2016 because it's not inspired by God. No, that you would say, man, it may not be my preference, may not be my style, but we are a family and we are going to worship together. You see, because as a family of faith, when we begin to do what Paul encourages us to do, the scripture found in Philippians 2, 4, where he says, each of you should look not only to the inter- your own interest, but also to the interest of others. When we can do that as a church family, we will be even stronger than we are today. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to continue to rely and grow upon our rich music and our rich history of these hymns of the faith. Hear me, church. I do not want to be a part of the generation that loses the value of singing hymns. There is such rich history and theology and that unites Christianity all over the globe. Some of these hymns of the faith. We cannot lose that. That's important. But we're also going to sing some new songs. We're also going to to embrace and welcome newer voices that are going to add songs to our hymnal. We're going to to learn some new songs together. One of the new songs that that Matt has introduced to me that I didn't know, maybe it's new to you, is one that we're going to sing here in just a a few minutes. And that is the blood of Jesus that speaks to me. 
the lyrics there that's so rich, it's so powerful about the blood of Jesus and how redemption is ours because of him. And in your worship guide, you've got one more insert that looks like a bookmark. It's red. I want you to pull that out. Victoria made this for us this week, and this, these are the lyrics, and there's a lot of words to it. Okay, some of you say, oh, these new songs are 7-Eleven songs, right? You sing seven words 11 times. I've heard it over and over again, all right? You can't say that about this one. These are, yeah, wordy. Um, so I want you to reflect on the words of this new hymn of the faith. And let me point two stanzas out, and then Matt and the worship team is going to lead us during our time of invitation by singing this new song of the faith. But I want you to I want to uh, point your attention to two verses. On the first side, the next to last stanza. Listen to this, how powerful these lyrics are. When my accuser, who's my accuser? Satan. When my accuser makes the claim that I should die for my offense. How many times have you felt that way, that Satan comes to you and says, hey, you're guilty of this. What do we do? I point him to that rugged frame, that's the cross, where I found life. Where did you find life? At Christ's expense. Now turn it over, look at the last, last verse. Tell me if this doesn't ring true in your life today. No condemnation now I dread. No matter what your past, no matter what you're struggling with, no matter what your sin, we no longer dread that condemnation, but instead eternal hope is mine instead. His word will stand. I stand redeemed. Why? Because the blood of Jesus speaks for me. Church family doesn't get any better than that. That we can rejoice in the blood of Jesus that was shed for your sins and my sins. And so, Matt, if you would come, I want us during our time of invitation, church, let's stand. And we're going to sing this hymn of the faith.